the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blind is producing Clark Hilton Engineering, and we're awfully glad that you're with us today. Well, on Fridays, we take a look at the lighter side of the news, something we don't have much time for the rest of the week. But today, <laughs> that is precisely what we will do. But before we get to that, I do want to give you some of the headlines of the day to keep you current. Beginning with uh, Marie Yovanovitch. She's the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. She's a key witness in the House Democrats' impeachment inquiry. She communicated through her personal email account with a Democratic congressional staffer about a quite delicate and time-sensitive matter just two days after the whistleblower complaint that kick-started the inquiry that um, this all started with. And a month before the complaint became public, emails obtained um, this week by Fox News showed. Well, during Ivanovich's de- uh, deposition on Capitol Hill last month, U.S. Representative Lee Zeldin, Republican out of New York, asked her about an email she received in August from a staffer, Lori Carey. And Yovanovitch indicated under oath that she had never personally responded to it. She said only that someone in the Legislative Affairs Office at the State Department had responded to Corey, or rather Carrie, to the best of her knowledge. Emails obtained, however, showed that, in fact, Yovanovitch had responded to Carrie's initial August 14th email, writing that she would love to reconnect and look forward to chatting with you. Well, Fox News is told it is a breach of normal procedure for congressional staff to reach out to a current State Department employee at their personal email address for official business. Now, what will come of it? Not really sure, but just another thing to think about in the midst of all of the back and forth. A career official at the State Department told House investigators conducting the impeachment inquiry against uh, President Trump that he raised concerns about a potential conflict of interest with Hunter Biden's business dealings in Ukraine while his father, Joe Biden, oversaw the Ukraine policy as vice president, but was told at the time that it wasn't appropriate to discuss the matter because of the health struggles of Biden's eldest son, Bo. Well, according to a transcript on October 15th, closed door deposition released on Thursday, uh, Greg, or rather George Kent, said that in January or February of 2015, he became aware that Hunter Biden was on the board of Ukrainian company Burisma uh, after discussing concerns about the perception of a conflict of interest with Joe Biden's staff. Kent said he was shut down. The message that I recall hearing back was that the vice president's son, Bo, was dying of cancer and that there was no further bandwidth to deal with family-related issues at that time, he testified. In his testimony, Kent also confirmed he had no direct knowledge that USA to Ukraine was ever connected to the ongoing, uh, rather the opening of a new investigation against the Bidens concerning their business dealings there. And former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg appears to be seriously considering entering the 2020 race for president. In fact, one of his associates said the clock is ticking. Time is running out for him to make that decision. You might recall Bloomberg name, his name has come up quite often every time there's a presidential opportunity, but he never quite um, 
shows up. Now, it's also a question, is he going to run as a Republican, as a Democrat? As you know, as the mayor of New York, uh, he was a Republican. Well, Bloomberg is expected to file paperwork this week, designating himself as a candidate in Alabama's March 3rd Democratic presidential primary. Well, today's Friday, so, well, the deadline is here. Fox News has learned that he had announced earlier this year that he would not seek the party's nomination, but in a statement obtained on Thursday, his political advisor, Howard Wolfson, said the billionaire businessman was worried the current crop of Democrats seeking the White House was not well positioned to defeat President Trump. In an appearance on the Ingraham Andel, uh, Angle rather, on Thursday, Chris Hahn, a former aide to Senator Chuck Schumer uh, out of New York, said Bloomberg might be just what the doctor ordered to shake things up right now and would shift the current 2020 Democratic presidential field's focus to issues important to the center of the party and people across the country. I'm not sure everyone agrees with that assessment who is in the party or on that stage for the debates, but we'll see what happens next. uh, CBS News is facing heavy backlash for reportedly firing uh, the ABC News staffer who leaked footage of ABC News anchor Amy Robach exposing how the network killed the Jeffrey Epstein story. Journalist Yashir Ali cited two sources with knowledge of the situation who claimed ABC News executives believe they know the identity of a former employee with access to the viral footage in which Robach claims her network quashed her reporting on Epstein and that they suspected the leaker was working at ABC or rather CBS News. According to Ali, executives at both networks were in contact uh, throughout the process and the CBS staffer was has since been fired. The reported collaboration between the two networks and firing of the CBS staffer were widely criticized on social media. CBS fired a staffer for a story that was embarrassing to ABC. Republican pollster Logan Dobson uh, quipped. Donald Trump Jr. appeared on Hannity on Thursday night to talk about his wild appearance earlier in the day on ABC's The View, saying, I don't think they like me much anymore. Well, anymore. I'm not sure that would have applied. Host Sean Hannity asked him why he even bothered to appear on the show. You know, every once in a while, he said, you got to try. You got to try to speak to everyone. Hopefully they listen, Trump said. In that case, they didn't. End quote. Well, Donald Trump Jr.'s appearance on The View Thursday made headlines as he clashed with nearly every one of the co-hosts. He was supposed to be discussing his new book, Triggered, but the uh, left-leaning daytime show is uh, no fan of his father, President Donald Trump. The atmosphere was hostile from the very beginning as co-host Joy Behar rattled off a list of President Trump's mishaps and controversial moments. After his View appearance, the president's son flew to Birmingham, Alabama, where hundreds of fans lined up to purchase copies of his book during his first book signing event. Republican Senators Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson have called on the State Department to release documents pertaining to Hunter Biden and Burisma. And Bernie Sanders proposes uh, to break up ICE and halt deportations in immigration. Um, What could possibly go wrong with that plan? And a judge has ordered the president to pay $2 million for misusing his foundation for political leverage. And uh, stocks fall after Trump says U.S. was not agreed to roll back the China tariffs. It was a record high later in the day, however. Well, on this day in – before I get to that, let me mention a couple of things – Enthusiasm for the election apparently is skyrocketing, according to Gallup, a key moment from the story. Currently about two in three Republicans, or 66 percent, and Democrats at 65 percent report being more excited about voting than they were in previous elections. This differs from the typical pattern Gallup has seen over the years, whereby those who identify with the political party of the incumbent president 
have been less enthusiastic about voting than members of the opposing party. This is true whether that president is running for election or leaving office. Meanwhile, from Josh uh, Kraschauer, Trump's job approval rating in the Midwestern swing states is about 42 percent in Wisconsin, 41 percent in Missouri, Minnesota, 41 percent. Pennsylvania, 39 percent. His favorability percent in those states, those same states on election night in 2016, roughly the same, much lower in Wisconsin and Minnesota. That may inform our at least a forecast for what may happen next November. And a Romanian-born academic says he recently left his tenured position at Columbia University because the Ivy League school is on its way toward full-blown communism. Wow, that's quite an indictment. Well, on this day in history, 1892, President Grover Cleveland defeats incumbent Benjamin Harrison, becoming the first and to date only chief executive to win non-consecutive terms to the White House. On this day in 1923, Adolf Hitler launches his first attempt at seizing power in Germany with a failed coup in Munich that would become known as the Beer Hall Putsch. That's P-U-T-S-C-H, auf Deutsch. Uh, And on this day in history, 1960, Senator John F. Kennedy defeats Vice President Richard Nixon for the presidency. On this day in 1972, HBO, or Home Box Office, debuts with a showing of the movie Sometimes a Great Notion. On this day in 1994, the midterm elections result in Republicans winning a majority in the Senate, while at the same time gaining control of the House for the first time in 40 years. That was 1994. On this day in history, 2000, uh, Florida begins a statewide recount on ballots, a critical step in deciding the winner of the 2000 presidential election between Vice President Al Gore and Texas Governor George W. Bush. On this day, again in 2000, Waco Special Counsel John Danford releases his final report absolving the government of wrongdoing in the 1993 siege on the Branch Davidian compound in Texas. A government raid at the compound led to the deaths of 76 people, including 20 children. And on this day in 2016, Republican Donald Trump is elected America's 45th president, defeating Democrat Hillary Clinton in an astonishing victory for the celebrity businessman and political novice. It was a shock to most everybody at the time. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break. And yes, we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. We're working our way through some of the day's headlines, and then we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. Well, House Oversight Committee ranking member Jim Jordan has been assigned, or rather reassigned, by Republican leadership to serve on the House Intelligence Committee so that he can participate in questioning in the open Trump impeachment hearings starting next week. Jordan is a Republican out of Ohio. He replaces Representative Rick Crawford of Arkansas, who temporarily resigned from his post on the panel on Friday. Jim Jordan has been on the front lines in the fight for fairness and truth. His addition will ensure more accountability and transparency in his in this sham process. So says Kevin McCarthy, House GOP leader, in a statement on Friday. Well, under current terms, Jordan is the top Republican on the Oversight Committee, has been in the room for most closed-door depositions because he is not a member 
member of the Intelligence Committee, though, the Ohio Republican cannot ask questions. In Speaker Pelosi's House, those responsibilities have fallen victim to partisan witch hunts, McCarthy said. The typically venerable Intelligence Committee has now become the partisan impeachment committee, end quote. McCarthy said Crawford will rejoin the committee after the inquiry is complete. Along with millions of Americans across the country who are frustrated with this impeachment-obsessed majority, Rick has offered to step aside from this uh, for this charade, McCarthy said. When it's finished, Rick will rejoin the committee and resume his work to keep our country safe. Well, a senior House Democrat, uh, Democratic aide uh, said that allowing uh, Democrats allowed this personnel shift because it is customary that whoever the minority proposes is accepted. Jordan, who's been a staunch defender of the president in his current role, would not have been on the uh, dais uh, during open hearings next week uh, to counterpunch. Republican leadership all week had been weighing the Jordan move, also considering adding Representative Mark Meadows and Lee Zeldin as well. But in order to position Jordan on the panel, Republican leadership is required to remove one of the current Republicans on the panel. Removing three to uh, also include Meadows and Zeldin would be somewhat of a feat. Politically, there's no way for us to pull this off, a Republican source said. The assignment comes just days before the first open hearings as part of the impeachment inquiry. On Wednesday, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff announced that the first public hearings as part of the inquiry would be held next Wednesday and Friday, featuring current and former officials with knowledge of the Ukraine controversy. Next week, the House Intelligence Committee will hold its first open hearings as part of the impeachment, uh, he uh, tweeted. On Wednesday, November 13th, we will hear from William Taylor and George Kent. He continued. On Friday, November 15th, we will hear from Marie Yovanovitch. More to come. The first public hearing will feature Taylor, the acting U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, who already testified behind closed doors before congressional investigators that the president pushed Ukraine to investigate election interference former Vice President Joe Biden and his son, Hunter, and their Ukrainian dealings, and that he was told U.S. military aid and a White House meeting were used as leverage to get a public announcement from Kiev that the probes were underway. Kent, the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, also will appear with Taylor. Kent testified behind closed doors last month and told the, commu- the committee rather that he had concerns about Hunter Biden's role on the board of Ukraine's natural gas firm, Burisma Holdings, in 2015, but was rebuffed by the former vice president's staff, which said the office was preoccupied with Bo Biden's cancer battle. Meanwhile, next Friday, Yovanovitch, the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, will appear in a public setting. She testified last month behind closed doors as well, telling lawmakers that Ukraine told her about Trump's lawyer Rudy Giuliani's campaign to oust her from her post in the administration. Yovanovitch was pushed out of her job in May on Trump's orders. Yovanovitch said she learned from the Ukrainian officials last November or December that Giuliani was in touch with Ukraine's former top prosecutor uh, and that they had uh, plans and that they were going to, um, well, essentially remove her. Basically, it was people in the Ukrainian government who said that Mr. Lutsenko, who is uh, the former prosecutor from Ukraine, uh, was in communication with the former mayor of New York. In her testimony, Ivanovich also told investigators that she was not disloyal to the president. I have heard the allegation in the media that I supposedly told our, amb- our embassy uh, team to ignore the president's orders since he was going to be impeached. She said that allegation is false. I have never said such a thing to my embassy colleagues or anyone else. We moved forward with the open phrase. Uh, she told reporter or rather Schiff told reporters on the Hill on Wednesday, adding that the committee still has remaining depositions, which they will be conducting over the next couple of days. Now, the Republicans have been given a day, perhaps two days, to submit the names of individuals they would like 
uh, to have the opportunity to uh, question. But those uh, approvals are subject to the chairman of the committee. It's not a bipartisan process. And so Mr. Schiff has sole discretion to determine whether or not the Republicans will have access to individuals they believe are important to their case in support of the president. So this is uh, certainly a one-sided process in that the Republicans don't uh, share the same uh, opportunities as do the Democrats and that they are subject to the, the chairman of the committee and then ultimately the committee itself. This is very much a departure from what we've seen in previous impeachment uh, processes in which it was a bipartisan effort. Both parties had equal uh, access to witnesses and uh, uh, subpoenas and all of that. So this is really uh, quite different. And there's no role for the president, his representatives, his legal counsel uh, to play in any of this either. Well, before defecting to the United States, Grace Joe and her mother tried to escape from North Korea to another communist country, China. But Chinese authorities sent them back to the nation where Joe's brothers had been starved to death and her father had been killed by the regime in Pyongyang. When I witnessed that, I felt and I believed that my country is not giving us any freedom and there is no human rights at all. Joe, now vice president of North Korean refugees in the United States, said Thursday at a White House after a meeting with the president, Trump spoke with five survivors of communist regimes in the Roosevelt Room of the White House two years after he became the first president to recognize November 7th as National Day of the Victims of Communism. Communism is an ideology responsible for the deaths of an estimated 100 million in the 20th century at the hands of about 40 governments across Europe, Asia and Latin America. Well, yesterday, Thursday, marked the 102nd anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, the first country where communists seized power. After I came to America, I learned how we can live as human beings. And I learned, wow, this freedom is amazing, she told reporters, adding, we are all equal and we are God's creation. We deserve to be treated as human beings. And I would like to ask the United States to enforce the sanctions against North Korean regime, because that is the only way North Korea and their regime will change their policy. Well, others at the gathering included Aldona Wass, who lived in Poland, when it was under communist rule and who now serves as vice chairman of the president's commission on White House fellowships, was uh, previously served as U.S. ambassador to Estonia under President George W. Bush. I want to express, Walsh said, I want to express our thank you to President Trump for honoring the memory of 100 million people who died and were persecuted under the communist regime, under the failed ideology of communism. My entire family, as well as millions of others of Poland, uh, suffered tremendously under communism, she said. I am extremely grateful and blessed to be an American and live in the United States in a country that offers us the opportunity to live in dignity, in freedom, and to fulfill our full potential. Shirley Avila Leon of Cuba told reporters that she once strongly supported the communism of that nation's Castro regime, worked in municipal government, and even had a son serving in the military. But she said the Cuban government targeted her when she began to question the regime's bureaucracy, corruption, and brutality. Also in attendance was Nguyen Nguyen Nguyen, known as the blogger and writer Mother Mushroom, a human rights activist, rather, for the people of Vietnam. She was a political prisoner in Vietnam for two years before being sent into exile into the United States in October of 2018 after then-Defense Secretary James Mattis visited the country. Daniel DiMartino came to the United States from Venezuela in 2016 to attend Purdue University in Indianapolis. He said he was a middle-class family before Venezuela's socialist government seized their gas station. 
Uh, when I left, we were making $2 per day because of hyperinflation and price controls and nationalization, DeMarto told DiMartino rather told reporters. So it is very important that Americans know that socialism doesn't work. It doesn't work because it goes against human nature and against our incentives to work for our own benefits, for our families' benefits. I want to keep America a country that is free and a country where everybody is able to prosper. Well, the CDC has confirmed that vitamin E acetate is the possible link to the vaping illness outbreak that we have been witnessing. The Centers for Disease Control today said that the vitamin E acetate could be a potential toxin linked to the widespread outbreak of vaping illness. As of Thursday, there have been 2,051 confirmed cases of e-cigarette or vaping product use associated lung injury or e-volley. The cases have been found in 49 states as well as D.C. and the U.S. Virgin Islands. 39 people have died from the condition. Vitamin E acetate is a chemical oil derived from vitamin E. CDC officials collected samples of fluid collected from the lungs of 29 ill patients from 10 different states, and vitamin E acetate was found in all the samples. The compound was also previously found in vaping fluid used by many who got sick. Additionally, THC was found in 23 samples and nicotine in 16. No other potential toxins have been identified in the samples So far, officials believe the results uh, from the lab tests provide more direct evidence that the compound may be to blame for vaping illness. Vitamin E is a common ingredient in nutritional supplements and topical skin care treatments. It's usually not harmful when ingested or applied topically, but experts uh, said research indicated the oily nature of the chemical could irritate the lungs when inhaled. The compound is used as a thickener in uh, vaping liquid, uh, particularly in black market vape uh, cartridges. Officials urged consumers to avoid e-cigarette products Products entirely because findings couldn't rule out other compounds or ingredients that may cause Evali. Uh, consumers were urged to avoid e-cigarettes, um, and of course, some uh, producers, manufacturers, and sellers have simply pulled the products altogether. Well, according to a survey conducted by the Illinois Department of Health, Evali patients were three times more likely to report exclusive use of THC vaping products, and were nine times more likely to report obtaining the THC products informally. The outbreak appears to have started in March. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, but we will quick break, but we will be back. Break back back break. Okay, we're back. We will be back eventually. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. We've wound our way through some of the headline news. And now joining me in studio, James Blind, who hop, uh, happens to also be the producer of this program. So you can esteemed blame him. producer. Oh, sorry. The esteemed, in his own mind, producer of the program. Sure, I'll go with that. Okay. Hey, I want to mention a couple of things before we get started. This Saturday, that would also be known as tomorrow is girls night out know your worth kpdq and our sister station the fish are sponsoring an evening with revive ministries and that is coming up tomorrow night the doors open at six for appetizers a photo booth fun followed by an uplifting message dessert coffee reception afterward it's going to be a great time to share laughs uh, to be encouraged and to leave feeling refreshed because quite frankly you're worth it special treats from fat cupcake 
Faith Box and for the King Apparel. All will be featured there as well. Go to kpdq.com for tickets, and uh, you can also go to the KPDQ mobile app for more information. Also want to let you know that Portland Singing Christmas Tree, which is coming up very soon, is uh, offering free tickets, which you could win. Enter online to win a family four-pack of tickets to see Portland Singing Christmas Tree on Friday, November 22nd, 7.30 p.m. at the Keller Auditorium. And yeah, you did get that date right. It's before Thanksgiving, Friday, November 22nd, 7.30 p.m. at the Keller Auditorium. That is KPDQ night, so you can look around and see some other KPDQ listeners. Enjoy a night full of holiday music with the family. You can enter once per day, so head over to kpdq.com or your mobile app for a chance to win a family four-pack of tickets. Pretty cool. Well, I noticed this year, and it had nothing to do with the singing Christmas tree and them causing it by any means, but it sure feels like Black Friday and the, the Christmas season, as it were, shopping-wise, is starting even earlier this year than ever before. Yeah, I have noticed that. But for me, every Friday is black, so I don't know really what you're talking about. But um, I do know that I've heard more retailers announcing that their Black Friday prices um, – are being featured early. There's one Black Friday tradition that I have. It's uh, There's a certain national bookstore chain that on Black Friday only in stores releases dozens upon dozens of signed books Oh, um, at the normal retail price. Um, there's limited to a couple copies per store of each of the titles. And so I always go every year, Black Friday, that's my one thing. I go in the morning, I pick up the couple books I want, they make great gifts, some of them I keep for myself. Um, it's a nice, special, you know, you know thoughtful gift. Um, yeah, they're doing it on the 16th of November this year. Wow. And I got you that know, email today. Yeah. You know ahead of time what the titles are? So yes, you can... they re- actually released that today. And is it one of those really, really crowded events? or? Well, that's the thing. I don't know because it's always been mixed in with Black Friday. Right, but I mean when you've gone before, is it as crowded as other retail outlets? No. No. Yeah, I would guess, yeah, bookstore, maybe not. So will you go? Probably still, yeah, just because there are a couple books there that I'm interested in. Yeah. Well, um, I've got lots of books, so if you were thinking about getting one for me. I have some other suggestions we'll talk about later in the show if you're scratching your head about what kind of expensive gift to give Georgine this year. <laughs> I know that's a concern for you every year, but I'll uh, I have it some is. suggestions. It is. I lose sleep. Uh, this will help because uh, this will be a couple extra weeks of sleep. Yeah. You know, it's always a challenge to transition from the serious news to the lighter side of the news. So I thought this might be good. We went from politics to politics light. Um, did you know that President Taft uh, introduced to the American people a presidential cow? Now, we hear about people who need support animals, and we'll talk about a couple of them later in the program. But the president had a cow that became quite famous and was housed, if you will, on the lawn of the White House. Huh. Presidential cow. Now, we're not talking about Taft himself. When we say there once was a cow in the White House lawn, he was the fattest president, uh, President Taft, by the way. But we mean a real thoroughbred Holstein Uh, At the time, William Howard Taft was elected. Milk still wasn't something you could easily come by without your own cow. So he and his family moved in with a cow that they uh, named Mooley Wooley. She was soon replaced by a gift cow, Pauline Wayne, from a Wisconsin congressman. Now, the fate of Mooley Wooley isn't known for certain, but she's believed to have died from being overfed oats. I mean, she was living at the White House. Apparently, cereal oat feeders, it's known that a previous cow owned by the Tafts met the same fate. 
Authorities on the matter note that oats are are suitable feed for horses, but not for cows. I guess they figured that out by the time the new cow came. But Pauline, however, took to the job very well, providing the first family with an ample supply of milk and butter. Taft weighed a hefty, hefty 340 pounds during his time in office and even had the White House tub enlarged after reports of him getting stuck. Uh, in one of them, uh, in her prime, Pauline, the cow, um, produced about eight gallons of milk per day. Her supply was so bountiful that White House guests were able to purchase small bottles of presidential milk. That doesn't sound right. But anyway, the president's cow's milk for just 50 cents each, which is a lot from back then. Pauline quickly became a publicity draw and the National Journal is even recorded to have written 20 news stories about her in just two years. Taft didn't have time to visit every dairy expo and cow show, so he would send Pauline as his envoy. Uh, on one occasion, one of these trips outside Washington, Pauline was traveling by private train car when the unthinkable happened. She went missing. White House officials scrambled to broadcast missing cow reports on the telegram wires. Pauline was eventually found in a slaughterhouse that was on a holding pen, was saved just in time from the bludgeon of the slaughter, according to the Times. Another incident involved a teacher sneaking onto the White House lawn and selling some of Pauline's milk for himself. Pauline said that was a real scandal back then. Pauline's health eventually became to, began to suffer under the weight of her office. And she was retired with fanfare to a Wisconsin farm. Today, her cowbell rests in the Presidential Pet Museum in Williamsburg, Virginia. To date, she is the last serving presidential cow. I I have so many thoughts, I can't even process them down into one stream of thinking. (laughs) But you're going to you're going to keep it to yourself. Oh, yeah. 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 Just. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's best that we just move on. Yeah, maybe so. You know, emotional support animals, maybe the cow was that for the former president, um, are becoming much more common. And the types of animals that are well used for support are becoming much more exotic. One example, a miniature horse drew some pretty big smiles on one of San Francisco Bay Area's rapid transit trains this week, or BART. Employees follow, allowed rather the service animal to board the train after its owner provided the proper paperwork. Uh, this mini horse is a service animal, and the owner provided paperwork to a station agent stating so. After consultation, the horse was allowed in or on. Trained service animals assisting people with disabilities and on a leash are welcome on BART, the transportation system added. A Twitter user posted a photo of the white and brown equine on Tuesday with the caption, retweet uh, BART pony for good luck. Well, the post um, had more than 3,600 retweets and more than 5,000 likes as of Wednesday night. The horse quickly drew attention, became the highlight of some passengers' day. Me, I would have been pressed against the glass at the furthest car from that one. Uh, Bart had a major delay tonight, but I would um, do it all over again if I could see this pony, wrote one. Another passenger said, it made my day. So cute, or such a cutie, another wrote. It's... um, is it uh, bring your miniature horse to BART Day? Well, the Justice Department uh, revised the Americans with Disabilities Act in 2010 uh, to add a provision about miniature horses that are trained to perform tasks and assist people with disabilities. Service animals are defined as dogs that are trained to do work or perform tasks for people with disabilities. The uh, ADA says the Americans with Disabilities Act. However, entities covered by the ADA must modify their policies to permit miniature horses where reasonable, according to the regulation. 
An assessment of the service animals should include whether or not the horse is housebroken, oh please, and under the owner's control, yes please, and whether the facility can accommodate the horse, whether or not the animal's presence will compromise safety requirements. Well, it certainly would compromise my safety because more likely than not, I would hurt myself trying to escape. So something well, to you and me both on that one, though. That's an area where I don't care how miniature the miniature is, I, I, I don't do horses. That's right. You're you're afraid I'm of them. Deathly afraid of horses. Deathly afraid. And I, so yeah, the little one is you know, there's little nightmares and big nightmares. They're all still nightmares. <laughs> Absolutely. And then there's this. A woman in Florida has filed a federal lawsuit in the hope of keeping her four pet chickens, which were prescribed to her to help cope with post-traumatic stress disorder. Karen Morris of Fort Myers uh, claims that Lee County authorities have violated the Federal Fair Housing Act by ordering her to rehouse her chickens within 30 days and pay $285 fine. County uh, fine. There's no D on the end of that. County authorities say Morris is violating zoning codes and could have to pay $25 for every day she keeps the chickens around uh, once the 30-day grace period is up. It's been reported that the dispute between Morris, the uh, county, and her local homeowners association has rolled on for more than a year. My psychiatrist provided them a letter to acknowledge that an emotional support animal is beneficial to someone with mental health difficulties, Morris told the station, adding, I'm disappointed in the fact that these chickens live in my private home that I pay mortgage on and how people that don't live in my house and that aren't affected by this are so interested in being a part of it. So apparently the chickens are not roaming out in the yard. They live with her in the house. Morris said the chickens, which she calls her girls, give her the emotional support that she that her medicine cannot. It's just disappointing. But, you know, God doesn't close a door unless he's he's got four open windows. I'm not sure that math works or that it's actually theologically sound. But nonetheless, my girls have changed um, my life in a positive way, and I'm not removing them. All my family members, my mom, my dad, my brother, my husband, all are deceased. The girls are all I have. And I have no doubt that she is attached to the uh, animals, but this is a phenomenon that's affecting more and more places, whether you're moving or just in a stationary residence. Uh, the question of what's appropriate, where to draw the line. I mean, chickens make noise. Chickens don't smell particularly well, and who knows if that's an issue for the neighbors. But a lawsuit filed will try to keep up on that story and let you know what happens. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, but uh, yeah, we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. We're taking a look at the lighter side of the news, things we typically don't have time to cover during the course of the week. James Blind, by the way, is uh, with me for today's program. It's true. I am here. Thank you very much. You're welcome. A seven-year-old cat, a seven-year-old cat currently available for adoption at the Friends for Life Animal Rescue and Adoption Organization in Houston is causing mischief and his rebellious nature is going viral. Are you a cat fan? No, I'm not. I'm not a cat guy. Yeah. Um, Quilty, named after a character in Vladimir Nobokov's um, novel Lolita, got into trouble after repeatedly letting the other cats out of their rooms and into the shelter lobby. So he's apparently letting these other cats out of their pens. Oh, that's interesting. He will not be contained. And he has no shame, the shelter wrote on October 29th in a Facebook post. Uh, Quilty loves to let cats out of the uh, senior room uh, repeatedly several times a day. 
Since then, the shelter has been inundated with potential homes for Quilty. The antics have reached more than 135,000 people on Twitter, which is now the measure of ultimate success. You don't have to actually do anything. You just have to capture people's attention. Anyway, we're pretty floored and excited about the response we've received on Quilty's antics. Jennifer Hopkins with Friends for Life. Uh, told the local newspaper, he's an awesome cat. Our cats live in free and roam um, in free roam cat rooms. I've never heard of a free roam cat room, but the rooms that uh, Kilty opens the doors in, and people are welcome to come visit with the uh, cats whenever we're open. So apparently, it wasn't that much of a transgression since the cats are uh, free to roam. And when the humans uh, aren't sensitive enough to notice that the cats would like to be freed, Quilty does that for them. Uh, and yeah, as I mentioned, there are lots of uh, folks who now want to uh, adopt Quilty. So if you're thinking about weighing in on that, it's uh, not going to do you any good. You know, boarding a plane can be a bit of a challenge. Isn't that true, James? Yeah, it actually can, actually especially if you have a four-year-old. Test. That was a test to see if you were paying attention. I was going to say, especially with a four-year-old. Yeah, it can be rough with any year-old. But Winnie Kenny. Uh, who moved to San Francisco from Nashville earlier this year, works at Google's campus in downtown San Francisco. That's nice for two reasons. She doesn't have to commute 90 minutes every uh, each way to Mountain View on a uh, Taylor Swift tour size bus. And the Embarcadero is just across the street, offering uh, views and two-acre park. Well, after lunch, uh, Googlers like Winnie's, uh, Winnie rather escapes from the glass-enclosed conference rooms and are reminded of why they live there. They hit the salty 7-degree air clad in um, what's known as Patagucci, puffy uh, base layers, stretchy cargoes, shoes made from recycled plastic bottles, toting pinging phones, rainbow-striped Google badges, and low-key optimism. Well, Winnie was, uh, has the badge and a super positive outlook but not a phone because she doesn't have thumbs. She is a dog. She is a dog. A dog. More precisely, she is a doogler. A doogler? Now, let me just repeat this. Um, when it hits uh, 70 degrees, uh, she's clad in a pot of Gucci, puffy base layers, stretchy cargo pants, shoes made from recycled plastic bottles, toting pinging phones, uh, rainbow-striped Google badges, Low-key optimism. Winnie has the badge and the super positive outlook, but not a phone because she doesn't have thumbs. She's a dog, a doogler. 20 years ago, a um, Leonberger named Yashka was Google's first doogler. The champion show dog who died in 2012, moment of silence, belonged to Google's eighth employee and senior vice president for technical engineering. Yashka was the subject of a blog and kept an office on the third floor. Today, a popular cafe on Google Mountain's uh, Mountain View campus is named after him, and he's remembered as a true stud. In fact, his lineage lives on. He paved the way for a tech culture that is less dog-friendly and more dogs-nearly-everywhere-friendly. Today in San Francisco, the city named for the patron saint of animals, dogs are so commonplace and believed to bolster morale and ensure longer workdays at companies including Lyft, Airbnb, Zynga, and the countless startup housed at dog-friendly WeWork that it's um, remarkable to see a golden retriever sitting at the cereal bar. Lyft regularly hosts Yappy Hour and Dog fashion shows. I don't know if that's for other dogs or for other people. It's not altogether clear. But the culture that has emerged around dogs in San Francisco, where they now outnumber children, uh, is truly state of the art. Pups are welcome nearly everywhere, even with no pets allowed landlords. 
if the pooch is declared an emotional support animal, which was the case for every dog encountered for this particular story. The city's demographic is skewing younger and richer, and people are staying single for longer, having fewer children, and procuring dogs. A Googler and Doogler at Google's headquarters in Mountain View is just one example. In fact, according to San Francisco SPCA, which includes four board members uh, from the tech industry, the city is experiencing a shortage of rescue dogs. The SPCA is widening its mission to include helping low-income citizens care for the pets already in their homes. Several tech legends have started their own charities, People's Soft Dave's Duffield, uh, founded the rescue charity uh, Maddie's Fund, donating his home currently on the market for twenty eight point five million dollars to the nine profit or the nonprofit. The home has an uh, on property dog spa. I mean, who would have a dog without one? Oh, Jana can't. You just can't. No, Jana Lee, who works at the Kinship Venture Capital Fund, which targets pet care, and recently hosted a dog centric uh, hackathon at TechCrunch. No idea. Uh, has seen a benefit not just for the city's pups, but also for their parents. Okay, can I just stop here? Please dogs do. do not have <laughs> dogs do, do not have human parents. They're owners. You own your dog. You're a caregiver to the dog, but you're, it's not the dog's caregiver, parents. Caregiver, care, yeah, caregiver. That's fine. Caretaker, whatever. Caretaker. Dogs are parent. No, humanizing the tech community here. Says the 40 year old dog parent. To Chihuahuas, Dave and Steve, who are nothing but glorified rats. I'm sorry. That may offend you, but Chihuahuas are nothing but long-legged rats. There you have it. Uh, The tech community in San Francisco has always had this reputation of being leeches, just taking everything they can. But the dogs have somehow civilized everyone in the tech community. And um, there you go. Dogs everywhere. With parents who work in the tech community. I'm going to give you a minute to think about that. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back after news and traffic here at the top of the hour. Ruff, ruff. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show second hour. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is with me in studio, and we're just working our way through some of the lighter side of the news. And then there's this. A street-smart squirrel found an inspiring spot to stash its cache of nuts for the winter underneath the hood of a Pennsylvania couple's car. Well, that's a pretty nutty place to hide something, but that's precisely what he did. Pittsburgh resident Chris Persick uh, was already suspicious of the absence of fallen kernels on the ground near a black walnut tree outside his house. Funny thing, he says, is that I was thinking that for this massive tree, how many uh, walnuts had fallen and how many dented Um, his vehicle, but there were so few on the ground. When his wife, Holly, called him from a local library saying their car was making strange sounds and had a burning smell, he instructed her to pop the hood, uncovering a stockpile of more than 200 walnuts surrounded by a makeshift nest of grass, dried grass. Well, Persick says it took about an hour to remove the hairy hoarder's mess. The couple then drove their SUV to a local auto shop where they discovered even more walnuts under the engine. They were storing for the next three years, they speculated. Malie documented the incident on Facebook with the caption, Rodents and vehicles do not mix. The posties uh, garnered about 400 likes, more than 100 comments, including the suggestion to cut the uh, walnut tree down. Probably not the best idea. It turns out the couple has already requested a couple uh, for removal of the tree. Persick summed up the experience as absolutely nuts, no pun intended. Have you ever had any uh, incident like that where the squirrels are 
moving things from one spot or the other? Not really, no. We have uh, squirrels that hang out regularly in our backyard, and I have, you know, I potted plants, and they uh, regularly dig up the dirt in the potted plant, leaving, you know, traces of dirt all around and burying their nuts in the plants, uh, in the pots. And it's really annoying because, the you know, you make a an effort to make the ground smooth on the top, and there are all these big divots and holes and dirt everywhere, but they're awfully cute. So what are you I find do? That, that that's one of the downsides to squirrels. It, unlike, say, a mole, it, it's hard to be it's hard to be mad at a squirrel for very long because they're so cute looking. And yeah, whereas <laughs> I'm sorry, what, like, did, oh, what do they sound like? Mad at you? What was that? They sound like what do they what do they say? <laughs> really? That is scientifically accurate, by the way. <laughs> Mine are, are apparently much quieter than the squirrels you've had contact with. Maybe that's why they don't come around so much anymore. Yeah, maybe so. Seems like most would be most thankful if these Thanksgiving staples were never at the table. Apparently, there's been a study conducted, a Harris poll on behalf of Instacart, of more than 2,000 Americans to come up with the most hated and celebrated Thanksgiving dishes. Now, what do you like best about the Thanksgiving meal? I've always been a stuffing guy. The stuffing guy. What yep. do you like the least? Um, I do not like sweet potatoes. You know, I didn't like sweet potatoes until well into my adult life. I just never I grow had into them. my adult life, and I still don't like them. Yeah, we put some marshmallows on the top; it helps. I've, yeah, I've I grown to like have, them. I'd really rather have a really nice, good garlic mashed potato. Oh yeah, I, mashed potatoes! I could live on mashed potatoes. I mean, that's that's the problem. They put them side by side on the table, and you kind of—I mean, I can't. I yeah, the choice is obvious. The choice is clear. Oh, I don't see it as a choice. It's just how many spoonfuls of each at this point. I can't do both. I, I, <laughs> that, that'd be that, that'd be cheating on my potatoes. Oh well. Um, let's see. For me, I like everything about the Thanksgiving meal. In fact, I like each component. Two things, though. Don't mess with the cranberries. I know it's popular to put orange in the cranberries, but it's just not cranberries when you put the orange in. Now, my sister makes a relish with cranberries that's unrivaled. She got it from Grace Stutzman, and that is the one exception. I think there are pecans in it. It's really good. But generally speaking, with one exception, there's an asterisk, and that's listed below. Don't mess with the cranberries. That's all I can say. I mean, see, I think the problem is I come from a generation where I expect cranberries at Thanksgiving to be a sliced loaf the shape of a can. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's just sort of what you expect. Cranberries don't look right unless they are you have the ridges of the can and the... <laughs> Yeah, I'm not I, sure what I, that is. But. I don't know what that is either, but that's kind of how, I mean, when people make an actual cranberry sauce, it's like, oh, that's right. That's what that looks like. Yeah, they're actually berries in the cranberry sauce. So I love a, a straight up cranberry. I like marshmallows on the top of my sweet potatoes. Okay, there I've said it. And uh, the thing that I disliked the most about Thanksgiving when I was growing up was when we'd go to my grandmother's house and she would have such an incredible spread. I just, she was just an excellent cook. But every once in a while, she would make mincemeat pie. Ooh. You know, you eat the whole meal, you anticipate Thanksgiving, and you're looking forward to pumpkin pie, sweet potato pie, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. You're looking for maybe an apple pie, maybe a pecan pie. But mincemeat, no. That's, no, that's yeah, like I, second dinner. Yeah, I never... <laughs> Yeah, I never complained. That's but not it was dessert. That's second dinner. Such. And if you read the history of mincemeat pie, I mean, it's suet and I mean, meat was the operative word anyway. 
So those are the only things that I would say about Thanksgiving. But I, that is my all-time favorite meal of the year is the Thanksgiving meal. You got to have the turkey and the dressing, which, by the way, I didn't eat for years. I didn't like dressing. I've now matured. And I like, of course, I've also... Where, where, when did that start? <laughs> well, I've grown and matured, which is evidenced by how much I eat on Thanksgiving, at least the growing part. Um, but I like the, the turkey. I want the dressing, the sweet potato, mashed potato, cranberries. If you don't have anything else, sometimes I throw in a Waldorf salad with the apples and, and raisins. But uh, Just like the pilgrims of yore, the Waldorf salad. Exactly. Anyway, a study conducted by the Harris Poll on behalf of Instacart surveyed more than 2,000 Americans. You and I were not among them. We were to not. come up with the most hated as well as celebrated Thanksgiving dishes. And the result may shock you. You may be shocked. You might want to sit down for this because this may shock you. Uh, then again, they probably won't, statistically speaking. At the top of the most despised list of Thanksgiving dishes is the very controversial canned cranberry sauce. There you go. Yeah. A gelatinous and sweet side dish that is has a consistency similar to jello. Now that's, that's fair. That's cranberry jelly, I guess they would call it. Now, you can also buy it in the can where there are whole cranberries, and you kind of break it up, and it looks like homemade, but I make my own. It's a very simple process, so... Not particularly admirable, but according to the survey, 29% of participants dislike the jiggly berry sauce in general, with 46% of those polling calling the uh, canned version disgusting. Meanwhile, 31% serve their cranberry sauce proudly in the shape of the tin can, um, as opposed to mashing it into something a bit more appetizing. So there's the number one despised dish. However, despite disliking certain offerings, 68% said they would eat the food anyway because, well, it's traditional. Following close behind the disapproval rating of 24% and 22% respectively are green bean casserole and sweet potato casserole. Now, you can dress up your green beans. You put, uh, uh, what is it, mushroom soup and those, those onions on the top. And it makes green beans a little bit more festive, I suppose. It's, it's never been one of my favorites, and I've only served it a couple of times at Thanksgiving. Is that one of your favorites, or is that a traditional part of your Thanksgiving meal? I've, it's occasionally there, but it's not something I dive into. You know, I would eat it because it's there, but it's not one of my favorites. And you've already mentioned the sweet potato casserole, which I guess you would call what we serve because it's, the sweet potatoes are mixed. And it's Honestly, got stuff I'll, in it. I'll be honest. I've always been, I mean, and I think I've made this abundantly clear on the show over the years, kind of a plain eater. Uh, I'm very nitpicky. I like what I like. I try what I try and I eat what I eat. So basically the, the, the nuts and bolts of it is my plate has some turkey, a little bit of white meat, a little bit of dark meat, mashed potatoes, stuffing, green beans, and carrots. Gravy or no gravy? Uh, gravy definitely on the mashed potatoes. Depends on how dry the turkey is. Um, sometimes that white meat can be a little yeah. bit dry. So sometimes I'll usually try and ga- gauge that visually uh, <laughs> or go back for some extra gravy. Sort of a science for you. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. But that's my plate right there. I don't usually mess with it, even if there's new items I haven't tried. Um, they yeah, don't, they thanks, don't make the main plate. For Thanksgiving, new items, just I, I just don't see a place it's not for experiment. new items. It's not experiment day. No, it's not. There's an expectation that you're going to have a certain set of, uh, of items, and if they're not all there, it's just it's depressing. I mean, I experimented once on Thanksgiving. What? But it wasn't an experiment. It was, it was, uh, I was experimenting with a slightly different way to make garlic mashed potatoes. And I found out something amazing that in a million years, I never would have guessed. 
not would have guessed at all. There actually is such a thing as too much garlic in something. <laughs> and you learned it the hard way. <laughs> I learned it the hard way. It really was. Would you like some? Would you like some uh, mashed potatoes with your garlic? <laughs> And I felt bad. We had a guest with us for dinner, and uh, they were trying so hard to be polite. You could tell, and it wasn't until my wife put it down. Babe, these potatoes—they're—they're they're <laughs> terrible. There's too much garlic, and I didn't think that could happen. And he's just like, Whew, "Okay, I, I got to admit, it's been painful." And it's like, oh, "Well, I know, me too." <laughs> I mean, we're all keeping our misery to ourselves. But let's admit it: the potatoes stink. And now we know. Yes, there could be too much. So now I don't I don't deviate at all, even on existing things. Yeah, for me it's just straight up mashed potatoes. They're not garlic mashed potatoes on that day. Although I really love garlic mashed potatoes, just straight up butter, maybe some sour cream, straight up potatoes. Now here's the the rest of what this survey has to say. Surprisingly, the iconic pumpkin pie. I love pumpkin pie, but I only eat it during the Thanksgiving season. A dessert nearly synonymous with Thanksgiving also makes the list with 21% of responders saying they could do without. 21% also say they secretly hate pie in general, but still eat it. And apparently 19% of those polled don't find the star of the entire holiday all that necessary as they voted turkey as the classic dish they did not care to eat. However, despite disliking certain offerings, cough, cranberry soft cough, 68% said they would eat it anyway because of tradition, the study shows. So with everybody, um, um, you know, picking and choosing what they want, everything people hate, what do people actually want to eat on Thanksgiving? Apparently, dessert. 94% said they eat pie on Thanksgiving with a divisive pumpkin being the favorite at 31%. Apple pecan trying for second at 18%. Among those polled, 75% said they uh, like to have uh, holiday punch, 47% uh, as well. So there you have it. When you're planning your holiday meal, keep that in mind what people apparently like and dislike about the traditional meal, but are willing to eat anyway, unless there's too much garlic in the mashed potatoes. You know, I will say that, you know, it always reminds me, though, of the one thing I've never tried that I've always wanted to that uh, involves a, a Thanksgiving food item, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't think I'd want to have it on Thanksgiving, the infamous turducken. Yeah, I, that doesn't even register in it's the not, same No, holiday. no, but that's one of the few times a year you see the turkeys come out. So, you know, in your head, I mean, I've heard of people serving turducken at Thanksgiving. I couldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Uh, you know, it's I, un-American. It's, 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 I would question uh, their patriotism. It, it, it's it's un-American, and it could be, and I, I'd have to check with the theologian on this, it could be a heresy unto the Lord. <laughs> uh, it's possible. I, don't quote me on that. I, I Will you get back to us on it? Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. contact some f- folks that, that, that know way more than that about that. At Western me, it could or, be. Yeah. yeah, call Western. Yeah. That would be a good question. Is Turducken a, a crime unto the Lord? <laughs> uh, but um, I, I, you know, I will admit, I do want to try it someday, just not on Thanksgiving. Yeah, that could, uh, that could end it for us. We'll have to talk. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. Now, you were talking, James, about Turduncan or Turducken. Yeah. The correct pronunciation. Well, Pringles is launching their Friendsgiving feast with Turducken stack chips for the holidays. Yeah, that I can't do. Yeah. No, no. For some, Thanksgiving isn't complete without the decadent taste of a bird inside of a bird inside of another bird. Soon those lovers of chicken, duck, and turkey will be able to have that same foul taste 
with a lot less work. Yes, Pringles has announced the launch of its turducken-flavored turducken stack, just in time for the holidays. The chip brand revealed its latest gimmick on Twitter, calling the new offering a Friendsgiving feast featuring the majestic turducken and three classic sides. Uh, the box comes with six different flavors of chips, turkey, chicken, duck, stuffing, cranberry sauce, and pumpkin pie. Those who receive the box are then expected to stack the turkey, chicken, and duck flavor chips on top of each other for a true turducken experience. So there you have it. You can uh, have the experience, James, without all the effort of putting one bird inside of another bird who goes inside of another bird. Though maybe a bit crunchier than expected, for those who like to savor one meat flavor at a time, you can also eat each individual chip on its own rather than stacking. But who would want to do that when you could have a flavor sensation in your mouth? And as uh, never-seen-on-TV packages will be available in limited quantities for 15 99 starting Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time via parent company Kellogg's website. Uh, this isn't the first time Pringles has tried to hand a, well handle the holidays with flavor. Last year, the chip brand released Thanksgiving dinner flavored Pringles in a can. The 14.99 three pack stackable mini cans, which came in turkey stuffing and uh, pumpkin pie flavors, uh, sold in all uh, sold out rather in 41 minutes. So if you're planning on getting yours, now's the time to check it out. The brand tried something similar in 2017, rolling out eight Thanksgiving flavors that were served in a TV t- dinner style tray. Uh, the limited edition chips were so popular that Pringle decided to bring them back the following year. Flavors including mashed potatoes, green bean casserole, or cranberry sauce, and eh, they didn't exactly make the cut. But if you're looking for turducken stack. This is the year for you from Pringles. And you can go to apparently the Kellogg's website, which seems a little odd, um, but to find out more. So are you interested, James? No, I'll pass. Really? I'm pretty traditional with my my chips. I I like pretty plain chips, but uh, I'll stick with my sea salt and vinegar. Really? Do you want green bean chips? No. Cranberry chips? I I don't understand that, but apparently. That is almost as ridiculous as the ad I saw the other day for kale-flavored candy canes. You're kidding. No. Kale flavored. Now, there's an oxymoron right there. Well, there, Kale and very, flavor. Very fair. Wow. Yeah, kale. I think we've just now, taken I suspect far. this will be the top market in the country for them. <laughs> yeah. But apart from that, yeah. Wow. Wait, so many people don't like watching others regurgitate their nachos? Fans Can't imagine. of the Milwaukee Bucks were introduced to a relatively new in-game feature at games, a feature that has come to be known as reverse eating cam, seeing as it plays footage of spectators consuming their concessions in reverse. I've seen this before, yeah. And it's finally starting to break people. The reverse eating cam has been around since uh, last season, uh, but it's starting to make the uh, rounds on social media this week and grossing out a hefty portion of the Internet. Uh, one uh, clip, uh, which was presumably shown at a recent Bucks game, uh, called it, uh, or the bar that it was shown in, the sports bar, called it disturbing, not sure if this video makes me hungry or the reverse. I can't unsee this, says another. Well, a podcaster with the Athletic NBA also shared the footage on Twitter where he deemed it weird. Many of his followers agreed. Still, there were those who weren't put off by it and, in fact, appeared to enjoy the footage of people seemingly pulling arena quality food from their mouths rather than putting it in their mouth. Nothing gets a bigger reaction in arena. Nothing, wrote one. Weird, oddly satisfying, said another. I uh, fortunately have not had the opportunity to see this and will not go out of my way to uh, 
to take it in. I mean, it's, I feel like I, I, I have seen it. I don't remember where. I don't think it was at a game because I don't think they do that here uh, in Portland. No, it's just the Bucks apparently. But uh, I, I feel like I must have seen maybe a viral video clip of it last year or something. The problem is you can't unsee it. That's the, the no, issue. No, you, you, you can't. If you thought the worst part of the donut was the bone, then you're in luck. If you don't know what a bone-in donut is, well, neither does Twitter. A photo showing four cherry cake donuts packaged in cling wrap has started making the rounds on social media. Not because of the way the donuts look, but because the large orange sticker label reading boneless on the front. The photo has pulled in nearly 35,000 Twitter likes and numerous responses as of Wednesday afternoon. Among the comments are many people trying to answer the question no one knew to ask before. What is a bone-in donut? But whether you like your donuts bone-in or bone-out, some facts you um, may not know is that apparently donuts do come with the bone-in. I never would have, you know, it's it's one of those things. I, I, I'll i pay extra for the boneless. <laughs> Yeah, that's just uh, disturbing. Uh, my guess is the sticker from the store was supposed to be in the meat department and it ended up in the donut department. Oh, well. And then there's this. Um, Ten years ago, uh, an individual decided they wanted to watch a McDonald's burger decompose. What they discovered is that, well, McDonald's hamburgers don't don't. The burger and fries are on display with a live webcam covering them 24 seven and both look almost entirely unchanged after 10 years of being left out in the open, according to the Washington Post. Purchased hours before the corporation pulled out of the country in 2009 in the wake of Iceland's devastating financial crisis and last surviving McDonald's burger has become much more than a burger. To some, it stands for the greed and excessive capitalism that created an economic collapse that was so bad that even McDonald's had to close down. And yet there is a remnant. There is a remnant that uh, that stands tall. Where's Michael W. Smith's song uh, right about now? Anyway, the burger that will not decompose until perhaps capitalism returns to claim one of its own. All right, we're going to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. Well, let's see. A Waffle House restaurant uh, in Athens, Georgia, was having a real challenge. No employees? No problem. The uh, Birmingham, Alabama Waffle House got some much-needed help last weekend when some customers filled in during a staffing mix-up. Some communication resulted in just one employee showing up for a Saturday night shift. So one patron grabbed an apron and started working behind the counter, and soon other customers joined in. It was the most fascinating thing, says one of the customers. It was just one of the most wild instances of really, really cool people just coming together. It was the most fascinating thing. Well, the first volunteer did a little bit of everything. Bus tables, wash dishes, stack plates, according to the report. Other volunteers took care of customers. It was almost comical, says uh, one. Here's this pretty woman in heels and a nice dress just trying to help and... Next thing you know, she's stapling, uh, rather stacking cups and running orders and bussing tables. Hmm. Uh, they snapped some photos of the volunteers who's earned praise from the Waffle House corporate office, who should have been a bit red faced. We really appreciate this effort, said Pat Warner, Waffle House Director of Public Relations and External Affairs. Though we do prefer our associates to be behind the counter, the key in- to our concept is we're there to serve you, not the other way around. Well, sadly, there was no one there to serve them. My guess is some of those who didn't show up unless 
or who were responsible for scheduling staff may not be showing up again either. They were uninvited. Well, Chili's is offering rib-scented candles in their latest delivery promotion. Another day, another odd scent offering from a major restaurant change. Perhaps taking a page from Jimmy Dean's or even KFC's playbook, Chili's is offering customers the chance to win a baby back ribs-scented candle as part of their latest delivery promotion. Do you want a baby back ribs-scented candle burning in your home? You know, it's one of those that I would not think that I would need that in my life. I would not expect that I would need that in my life, and I probably don't want that in my life. You know, if they but are to not, make a final decision, I feel like I need to smell it. If they are not baby back ribs, I don't want the, the scent. That just would make me want the ribs. And uh, that's also that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. The restaurant chain, which originally launched its delivery options in June, has delivered to, to 1.7 million users. Uh, They said in a press release, in celebration, they're offering free delivery to anyone who orders through the restaurant's website or app. But that's not all. Those who share their experience with Chili's delivery by uploading a photo of their meals on social media and tagging Chili in the post will be eligible for a starter pack containing the rib-scented candle, as well as a doormat, TV tray, trivia card game, and a chip bag clip. How does Chili's? I thought Chili's had more of a Mexican food. No, no. They, they, they used to actually, actually used to be one over here at Clackamas. I remember that. I don't think um, I ever no, ate it's there. more of a. I would say. I guess a compare would be an Applebee's type thing. Oh, I see. All right then. Anyway, um, we get it. They say our guests don't always have the time or want to leave the comfort of their homes. I deeply understand because I love being on the couch with my boys in my jammies, binge watching TV. That's the senior vice president and chief marketing officer. And that's exactly why you need hashtag Chili's My House starter pack in your life. So there you have it. If uh, you want to have one less uh, Christmas gift item, call Chili's. Well, a new survey has found that uh, turning to Google for health issues may be doing some patients more harm than good. With two in five respondents found to um, have falsely convinced themselves they had a serious disease after browsing the web. The survey commissioned by Let's Get Checked polled about 2,000 Americans. They found 65 percent had turned to Google to search their symptoms and attempt to diagnose themselves. Of those responders, 74 percent said searching for their symptoms actually stressed them out more about their health. And um, the things that they thought they might have were not accurate. Respondents said the answers they found on the web were reliable less than 40 percent of the time. Now, have you ever done that? Have you ever had a symptom and gone to the web and decided, see if you can self-diagnose? No, for that exact reason. Yeah, I have looked, you know, out of curiosity, a general thing. I'm just delighted, though, to read that um, 40 percent of the time they're inaccurate. I now know that I don't have scurvy. Uh, which I thought before now that I did, having gone to Google to search health issues. So I'm apparently scurvy-free. So I'm I'm very delighted to hear that. Well, keep your citrus intake going. Citrus intake? That helps keep away scurvy. Oh, no, maybe I do have scurvy. I'll tell you what, during the next break, I'll go back to Google and figure that out. Six in ten respondents admitted to actively avoiding the doctor's office, while over a quarter said they don't have a primary care physician. Reasons for skipping out on the doctor included cost, fear of symptoms being dismissed, and not having time for an appointment. Uh, Respondents said better explanations of test results, less expensive care, and more flexible office hours would help encourage trips to the doctor rather than to Dr. Google. The fact that over half of U.S. adults turn to Google to learn more about their symptoms is unsettling. Uh, The fact that it can take weeks or months to see a doctor highlights the need for better solutions to testing, managing, and knowing your health. Let's Get Checked is responsible for this um, survey. Dr. Robert Mordkin 
medical doctor from that organization, said uh, Google is not the way to go. So he's working on public policy. If you woke up to a weird text that seemed totally out of place, you aren't alone. A mysterious wave of missives swept America's phones overnight, delivering confusing messages from friends, family, and, uh, well, occasional distant exes. Uh, Friends who hadn't talked to each other in months were jolted into chatting. Others briefly panicked. Well, a telecom vendor called Cineverse uh, said a server failed on the 14th of February and nearly 170,000 messages from multiple carriers didn't go through. When that server was reactivated on Thursday, those messages got sent. In a statement sent to the Associated Press by Verizon, uh, Cineverse said it's reviewing internal procedures, so this doesn't happen again. Cineverse typically deletes messages that don't go through. They didn't immediately respond to requests for greater details, but the sudden release of messages sometimes had dramatic effect. One 28-year-old from, well, Portland woke up at 5 a.m. to a text from her sister that just said, OMG. She immediately thought something had happened to her newborn nephew at the hospital. She started calling everyone, her sister and her sister's husband. They didn't answer. She woke up her mom, freaking out. It was three hours before she learned that everything was just fine, and the text was, well, an odd anomaly that had been sent at the time, the birth of her nephew. Now it's funny, she says, but out of context, it was not cool. She figured out that people were getting some of her old texts that failed to go through when her sister and co-worker both got texts that she had sent in February. Another 25-year-old from uh, Turlock, California, got an unwanted message from someone she had been dating, but had stopped talking to, and then he got one from her as well. Neither actually sent them recently, both said. Uh, they couldn't figure it out, either worrying that um, she was now being harassed uh, or stalked until she saw reports of this having happened. It didn't feel great, she said. I just was not, uh, it was not good for me and my mental health to be in contact with him. Well, the friend who just re-entered his life got a mystifying message from uh, someone else on Thursday. In that text, they seemed to assume she was on her way over to his house so that they could order a lift. Well, it was all very confusing. If you happen to receive an odd message like that, just know that it was a technical glitch, and it did impact some people right here in the Portland metro area. Hmm. Well, let's see here. You know, I was going to talk about uh, favorite things. Oprah has uh, revealed her favorite things list for 2019. I'm going to save that for next week uh, because I think there are some things here that you might want to jot down. Because uh, I know every year at this time you're trying to think, what kind of expensive gift can I get Georgine? And, uh, this might be helpful to you. It uh, might be. One it example – Seventy nine items worth a total of twelve thousand two hundred dollars. So that's right about in the uh, in the range. There was a two thousand dollar exercise bike, a nine hundred dollar coffee maker and a sweat uh, suit that cost nearly three hundred dollars. So I feel like Oprah's favorite things list is kind of like the modern day version of the hammock or schlemmer catalog. <laughs> yeah, really? Who buys these things? Which is exactly what people said when the hammock or schlemmer catalog came I, out every it, year. It's funny, but I got one just last night when I got home late, late last night from rehearsing in Woodburn. There was a hammock or schlemmer catalog on my dining room table. There you go. Yeah. So have to cross-reference with Oprah, see what we come up with. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up on Monday, which happens to be Veterans Day, we're going to share with you a uh, Jerry Stewart. I was almost said Jimmy Stewart. Jerry Stewart 
Veterans Day special, D-Day to End the War. And his specials are always very well done, very dramatic. We'll share that. That's the second hour of the program, James. Is that right? The special is the second hour on Monday. Yeah. So we'll share that with you on Veterans Day. And we certainly want to give our um, uh, give veterans their props on this day that is designated to remember the sacrifices they have made on our behalf. Uh, then on Tuesday, we're working on a couple of things. On Thursday, uh, we're looking forward to a conversation with, is that right? No, Wednesday, we're, we're talking with Dave Beckwith. Uh, this is a reschedule. I love the world. It's the people I can't stand. Jonah's journey of brokenness and yours. This is a reschedule. He had to cancel that conversation a couple of weeks ago. So we'll be talking with Dave Beckwith. And then on Thursday, we'll talk with Mark David Hall, a name that's familiar to many of you. His latest book, Did America Have a Christian Founding? Separating Modern Myth from Historical Truth. So looking forward to this um, scholarly approach to our nation's history and what's true and what has become lore over the years. So um, uh, Professor Mark David Hall will join us. Uh, Did America Have a Christian Founding? Separating Modern Myth from Historical Truth. So that's at least part of our lineup coming up next week. A couple of other things I want to mention. Tomorrow night, uh, we are encouraging women to join us for the Girls' Night Out. Uh, Know Your Worth. It's featuring Revive Ministries and the women from KPDQ and our sister station, The Fish. Uh, Tickets are available at kpdq.com or on the KPDQ mobile app. Our evening begins at 6 o'clock p.m. at Northwest Christian Church, the Tigard Campus. Um, And uh, we're going to have appetizers available for you, a photo booth for some fun. Uplifting message from Revive Ministries with a dessert and coffee reception afterwards. You can come share a laugh, be encouraged, and leave feeling refreshed because the truth is you're worth it. Fat Cupcakes will be providing our dessert. Faith Box and For the King Apparel are also supporting this event, so we'd love to see you. Again, you can get uh, your tickets at kpdq.com or check out the KPDQ mobile app. And Portland Singing Christmas Tree is coming very soon, and you could win free tickets. You can enter to win online a family four-pack of tickets to see Portland Singing Christmas Tree, Katie Harmon, uh, Miss America. You'll have the opportunity to hear Timothy Greenidge sing. I mean, that's worth the price of the ticket right there, but we're giving them away free. November 22nd, 7.30 p.m. is KPDQ night at the Singing Christmas Tree. We would love to have you join us at the Keller Auditorium. You can enjoy a night full of holiday music with the family. Just great performances all the way around. You can enter once per day, so head over to kpdq.com or use your mobile app for a chance to win. And we, uh, we hope you do. And I hope to see you there. Finally, I just wanted to mention that Luis Palau is about to celebrate his uh, 85th birthday. I know many of us have enjoyed his ministry over the years. Uh, the festivals that he's hosted here, the many times he's spoken to churches and the, the ministry that he's had on local media. Just an incredible life and legacy of, of faith and work for the sake of the gospel. Well, he's going to be celebrating his 85th birthday. And I know for many of us who have prayed for him, particularly over these last uh, couple of years, knowing his diagnosis, it is a thrilling thing to see that Luis Palau is still uh, going and uh, is still uh, ministering the gospel. On Wednesday, November 27th, Downtown Bible Class is going to be hosting a special birthday celebration for Luis Palau. Maybe you've never met him. Maybe you haven't had the opportunity to hear him in person. You are invited to the Downtown Bible Class um, Wednesday, November 27th. Now, that's the Wednesday right before Thanksgiving. That'll help you kind of put it 
in perspective on the calendar. There's going to be an opportunity to hear from him, to be a blessing to him, and Downtown Bible Class provides lunch for you. It's a very concise uh, period of time. And uh, I'm going to talk with um, Pastor Scott Gilchrist next week. In fact, I think that's happening on Tuesday. We're still working to put that together with all the uh, the details. And to bring you up to date on how Luis Palau is is doing, but I wanted to give you a heads up to mark your calendars. This is from noon to one. Uh, and if you're in the downtown area and working, really, it's 1215 to 1245. Uh, but anyway, that's coming up on November uh, 27th at the Portland Art Museum. Uh, celebrating Luis Palau's birthday. And it's a great opportunity to just uh, demonstrate our love and regard for him because he is someone who is worthy of uh, that kind of uh, of appreciation and high regard. And so I wanted to let you know you are invited. And as I mentioned, uh, we're, we're trying to schedule, I've talked with uh, Pastor Gilchrist, and I think Tuesday is going to work for us. But we're trying to schedule an opportunity for him to tell you more about that and a little bit about bringing us up to date on on Luis Palau and uh, what's been happening since that uh, diagnosis. Shortly after he spoke at the um, Mission Connection Conference, and it was so thrilling to hear him speak and uh, to know that uh, the challenge that he faces uh, faced at that time and continues to face could have sidelined any one of us, but he made his way there and spoke so eloquently and with such energy. It drained it drained him significantly, but it was uh, it was thrilling. What's happened since? Many of us have, have wondered. So uh, Luis Palau's birthday uh, opportunity is coming up on Wednesday, November 27th. You're invited, and I hope you will come. We want to pack this place out so that he has a visual, uh, just a, a quick glimpse of the people who love him and uh, support him and have been praying for him. So make note of that. And again, uh, next week we'll be talking with Pastor Gilchrist about all the details uh, so that you can join us. All right. Again, on Monday, the Jerry Stewart Veterans Day special, D-Day to end the war. Hope you have a great weekend. I want to thank James Blend for producing today's program, Clark Hilton for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.